0: this episode, I'd like to take a moment to say that today's guest Hayden, he is wishing everyone to support him and his partner in a uh, they are having a little bit of a tr- tough time as everyone is, but I attached a GoFundMe page at the bottom of this video, so please go support him and his partner you will know, just take a, a moment of your time because as we all know, it is a rough period in our lives and artists should be helping others. So yes, but yes, please enjoy today's video. Hello everyone and wel- welcome again to Performing the Arts. My name is Brian M. Davis. I'm your host for this little podcast, talk show, whatever you want to call it. And right now, I'm actually, I'm going to be interviewing someone who I actually worked with
1: previously. Hey, name's Hayden. Hope everyone's having a good day so far.
0: Uh, Hayden is an actor uh, living in New York City, as most of my uh, people who I've interviewed so far, aside from... Six-bit wanderer. Uh, for the most part, Hayden and I actually worked together a couple of years ago on a um, off-Broadway production. Well, not off-Broadway production, but it, it, we worked together almost very recently on an off-off-off-Broadway uh, comedy show called Christmas and Time in the City. I was supposed to be in that show, but I had a slight case of death, i.e., a stomach flu, and. I and I really bow out. But in the time we actually worked together, we actually became very good friends, and this is my first time actually interviewing him. And so, yeah. So, Hayden, uh, what is your background in acting? How did you discover acting, like, was it purely yes, educational, or was it something that was like a hobby that sort of like became like almost, hey, this is a good career, I might.
1: Well, it kind of started off as like a hobby at first when I was younger because uh, it just kind of was one of those things where I'm like, hey, this seems like it could be, you know, like it makes, it makes sense to me. I'll try it out. And then as I started taking acting classes when I was in high school, I kind of started really to like uh, develop a love for acting. And then I started doing more plays. And then as time progressed, I was like, hey, you know what? I should, I should try to make something out of this. So like not just a hobby, I try to like, you know, make something with it, so I, like, as soon as I graduated high school, I pretty much went straight to New York, started acting school for, like, three years, and uh, did some stuff outside of that, uh, or, well, after those three years, a bunch of, like, very off-off-off-Broadway kind of stuff, and, like, you know, pretty much, like, whatever a New York actor does, a bunch of, like, student films, short films, and honestly, I feel like you're not a New York actor if you haven't done something for some sort of, like, student NYU production, in some way
0: yeah that's the thing about new york acting is that there is a lot of productions that you see online especially uh auditions wise that are Mm -hmm. stemming from either nyu student films that sort of thing so i think Mm -hmm. for for the most part like what you just said you you aren't a new york actor until you have done a student film for either nyu or just a student film in general it's almost Mm -hmm. It's almost like you made your bones. It's like, hey, you know, I've done a couple of
2: mm-hmm.
0: Broadway productions. You know, I performed in mm-hmm. in Manhattan. That's like some, that's mm-hmm. like oh, like 60th Street and somewhere like in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And then I've sang in a couple of bars. But hey, I finally done a student production. I mean, I've finally done like a student <laughs> for NYU. So I know I made it. So yeah. It's like, and it's not because a lot of actors, especially in the past, who've lived in New York, have gotten their star, really, with uh, NYU student films, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. in, terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of the student films, uh, were they essentially kind of coherent? Because I know some student films that I've done in the past, they were kind of coherent, but at the same time, they mm. were be coherent enough, which, which isn't a knock against what they were, it's just that, you know, it's...
1: Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you see a lot of weird stuff with, like, the student productions. I feel like part of that is, like, their own creativity in a way, or it's also just, like, whatever the their assignment was they were given, they had to try and work within the confines of that. Like, I've done a few where it's like, okay, this actually is good. Like, this could actually be something legit. It's not too out there like I, I I could actually see this as you know something like I don't know i would seen maybe some sort of tv show possibly or something and then there are some others where it's like absolute abs- absurdity it, that makes no sense no matter how many times I would read the script but I'm like well it doesn't make sense but well it's it's work it's well I mean it's not most not really pay work but it's it's acting work essentially
0: yeah especially uh it's almost similar to what mm-hmm. you see like somewhat when you're just looking for auditions and you see those like type of like type uh type mm-hmm. of log lines or plays and mm-hmm. they're like short one act plays it's almost like i have no idea what and it's like but you, it's like what you just said it's work so it's sort of like. Mm-hmm. And that's the meat of everything. Is especially New York, especially living in New York City, Mm -hmm. the bulk of everything is just trying to do that work and trying to keep that workflow going. And unfortunately, we're Mm -hmm. in a very rough time where the workflow has stopped because of uh, the coronavirus. That sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Although, actually, I kind of have a theory about how like a lot of stuff is probably going to get made during this time. If it does, it's going to be a lot of like post-apocalyptic kind of scenarios because I feel like if anyone's going to make stuff really I feel like that's kind of the best route to do it because it's the easiest way to really justify the masks or they basically have to be like or even just like regular life but now it has to be the COVID aspect has to be addressed in it which is actually going to be very fascinating to see like if that's something that would happen where now every character is basically going to be wearing masks or like like in regular shows or if it's going to be stuff where it's like some other justification for the masks, but like they won't say, oh, it's COVID, so we have to do this, like make up some crazy, you know, whatever disease going on or whatever. Like, oh look, yeah. it's um, the disease from the last of us, so we all have to like wear masks so we don't breathe in the spores or whatever or something like that.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because uh, there's a recurring, well, I, I would say there's a recurring joke about, you know, how Avengers Endgame is, like, set in, like, maybe 2023. Yeah, it's set in 2023. It's, like, so... Yeah. And and people are, like, wait a minute. It's, like, if that happened in 2023, does that mean COVID-19 still happened in 2020? And then people were... Mm-hmm. And still be addressed in, like, the future movies because people are, like, you know... and But it's, like, what you just said before. is probably, you know, it, it might get addressed as being, oh, it's some probably new disease that happened to spawn out of, like, then I, was just, uh, I mean at uh, Dr. Banner is like resnapping or something mm-hmm. like that, whereas it it's like uh, and but yeah,
1: it's um, or, or it could even be or it could even be like, oh well, this is the result of all of that time travel business that screwed up the timelines now possibly. Or yeah. even or or even like a new alien threat thing that somehow brought this new disease thing.
0: Yeah, it's it's very because a lot of things have essentially been slowed down because the production, the production aspect. And I know, Mm -hmm. and I know that the films that are being released, that were
1: supposed to be be released this year have Mm -hmm. been almost- uh, Like, have pretty much all been pushed back or like essentially put, gonna be put on streaming service instead of being put in theaters for those release date times.
0: Yeah. do you see that as a uh, positive or do you see that as a negative from the business?
1: Um, it kinda depends. Like I think it kind of goes both ways, because I see the positive aspect where it's like, say you have like a big family. It's like you have a hus- you have a husband, a wife, they have like two or three kids. And if they went to go see a Marvel movie in theaters where tickets depending on on what theater you go to, average theaters tend to be like maybe 15, 20 bucks a ticket. So you've just spent like probably 100 bucks worth of tickets or so. I mean, maybe less, depending on how they price it for like, you know, younger children tickets. But like, it's still a good chunk of money you spent to go see a movie. Whereas like, you might not be able to like really carve out that time to really go see it. Because you, because especially because a lot of people have to like, you know, drive out to the movie theaters to do that and then drive back. And it's like, well why do that when it's like, I could just come straight home from work and then like, we could just watch this movie together as a family, just have some dinner, watch it together. Everyone goes to bed, yeah. but on the, op- on the opposite side of that though, the, like the biggest difference though, is like a lot of those movie theaters have such like high quality, um, like, like showings of the movies that you would probably, that you would never really be able to get at this time with like streaming services. So that is, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword really. I, I think I think streaming move, I think streaming the movies is a good strategy for now until the new normal kind of really takes effect. But then once like you know it is re- it is safe to really be outside and not have to worry about the pandemic, then going to the theater would be like then like yeah, I think it's one of those things where it really just kind of is more about the current time, and then once it's over. It'll probably go back to normal where like movies will be safe to go watch in theaters and then people will go to one, see them on the big screens, especially for the high quality resolution. Yeah.
0: And it's funny how you mention sword because I know you're a uh, cosplayer. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and because well, I've,
1: re- I've,
0: <laughs> I've seen your work and it's it quite fascinating how you're able to build up all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. you see, and and as a cosplayer, and, and and since cosplaying is a performing art in, in mm. a certain way, mm. you know, in some fields, well, it is performing art. But, uh, do you see cosplay being essentially uh, toned down because of what's been happening, or do you see sort sure, of like uh, you know mm-hmm. cosplay and you know go to a New York Comic Con wherever? You know, whenever that may be, because you know, I'm not sure if they are still doing a com- uh, New York Comic Con this year. And if so, I feel- do you still see there's like the same res- res- yeah, regulations that are happening now to like other places? Because I know Comic Con this year, the actual Comic Con, it was canceled. So, so, do you see like, uh, conventions in general just essentially like taking a step back in terms of how many people
1: are in there, that sort of thing? I, I think that's definitely going to be, well, I feel like the conventions are definitely going to be a bit more like, toned down and restrictive if they do open in this year just because of the fact that it's like there is no vaccine for COVID at the moment, so all they can do is just try to like limit the amount of people if they want to take that risk, though, that's the thing, because it's like, do you want to have a convention and then risk essentially being a hotbed or another hotbed for like COVID. because I, th- I think it's a good thing, honestly, to have the conventions be canceled, because like you can take as much like precautions as you want, but those conventions, they get packed yeah. So it's like, do you want to risk getting So while, so while it, it is fun to like you know, to cosplay as one of your favorite characters from you know, insert, whatever pop culture media, etc, you know, in the blank. But it's like, do you, would you want to risk doing that um, at a convention where, and actually here's the fascinating thing too, because there are a lot of people who aren't taking it seriously enough, who aren't taking the precautions of wearing masks and whatnot, or if they are, they're wearing it like just below their noses too sometimes, they're like kind of getting lazy with it, essentially yeah. making the mask pointless then. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I think it's like gonna be a good thing for now. If there are like the conventions aren't having the big gatherings and just doing like some digital thing to, to kind of make up for it at the at the time because this will because you know this will pass it's just you know like it sucks for now but once there's like once there's a vaccine and once things do start returning to the new normal like then it's gonna be fine and and also also I think it's gonna it's gonna inspire a lot of like people who cosplayed as whatever character they did before. To probably add some new like mask thing to it, that would that would look like really awesome. That would go well with whoever they would cosplay as to begin with, unless it was a character that already has some sort of helmet or mask thing anyway. Like, uh, let me actually look for it in here because I actually have a Mandalorian helmet.
0: Yeah, I I honestly think that people like Bane and Jango Fett and uh, Boba Fett and Darth Vader like people who wear masks like that character we there's probably a lot of sure to people actually wearing those masks. Ooh, yeah, that actually looks nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I don't know if the background's making it look... Um, it's
0: sort of like doing that, but I, I think... Yeah, let's
1: see if I can... Okay, here we go, put it more in front of me, it kinda helps a little
0: bit. Yeah, that actually looks nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is that,
0: that like, to be the... Is that the Mandalorian
1: Mandalorian,
0: uh, or is that just one that... Or is that just Mandalorian helmet in
1: general? Oh, uh, Mando. Uh, uh from the mandal from the disney plus mandalorian show
0: okay that, yeah yeah
1: yeah because and, and yeah it's like stuff like that because it covers your face so that will definitely help because like one thing is i've definitely seen people wearing are like these sort of like visor things that shield your face so like helmets and stuff like that that's gonna be like you know perfect to wear and i was actually even considering it's actually i came across this um I don't remember what it, what the website was at the moment but they had like this um Arkham Knight um helmet thing and I was actually kind of considering getting that because honestly that because it just looked really nice and it's like you know it'll you know, you know be nice to have like more of those like kind of helmet things because it's like because when you're in New York it's like it's easy to be a character and it's really fun just kind of walk around in New York with like you know those helmet kind of things on I mean not I mean kind of not as much now with everything going on but
0: as, uh, ins- uh to segue away from that uh what got you into the arts? Was it a play, a musical a film video game like what really sparked your curiosity with acting
1: i just honestly it was just a love of storytelling really like i like I always just love really good stories in like whatever medium it was, and when I kind of started like you know, figuring out, hey, a great way to be a great storyteller is to get involved in acting because you're essentially telling a story. So I'm like, hey, you know what? Yeah, that's, yeah. Because, like, whatever it is, I'm all about story first. Whatever movie, TV show, video game, whatever, I'm like, story first. Like, that is my thing.
0: In terms of those stories, do you have any, like, Inspirations for those stories that are like top tier, like, hey, you know, uh, like in terms of inspirations, like Gary Oldman is a big inspiration. I've talked about it. I talked about him in mm. my episode. i mm. was a big inspiration for me. Uh, mm. uh, James Fader, uh, a couple of others. Mm. And both in terms of how they approach acting, but also in their mannerisms in general, how they're able to, uh, you know, influence their, like, Almost like energy in terms of the characters that they play. Like, if you're watching an Al mm-hmm. movie, chances are he's, he's gonna, he's like reserving all of his like manic energy until like maybe towards the end, where he has that one brief mm-hmm. moment where it's just like all that spastic energy comes out. Or if you're watching a De Niro movie, you know, mm-hmm. has that very soothing, not soothing, like seething rage that it's gonna burst one moment. Like, that's. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of inspirations, do you have, like, any, mm-hmm. like, film inspirations, actor inspirations that really do help you in terms of your, in your acting? Or is it just, like, very, like, very open and, and like, a sense of very open and mindful. It's like, hey, I like this, but I also like this. You know, I hate this, but there's something about this that I do like.
1: It's kind of an openness. Like, I will more or less watch anything. Like, there are some things I'm just kind of, like uh maybe not but I, I am kind of like into like you know a lot I you know try to watch a lot of stuff like but I, th- I think like, if I do have to pick an inspiration it would be Heath Ledger's Joker because like part of, the re- part of the reason also for that is like I grew up with the uh, comic books and very like nerdy stuff and whatnot and one of my favorite superheroes was you know the Batman and one of my favorite supervillains was the Joker because they had such a great dichotomy Like, such, like, natural, like, opposites always against each other. And no matter what, that would always be the case. And this is the way Heath Ledger portrayed the Joker. Like, honestly, just from all the comics I read before, I'm like, this is kind of the definitive Joker, really. Because he's smart, he's crafty, he's, like, he also has, like, his own kind of sense of humor. And the way he sees the world is kind of, like, Kind of really accurate to like really to some of the like best portrayals of Joker in comic books and TV shows. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because I had this a similar discussion with some
0: of my best friends a couple of, like just yesterday, and mm-hmm. I was mentioning how you know, if I had a top tier like like villains list,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Joker would probably be in the top three, and. Mm-hmm. They'd probably be like maybe Hannibal Lecter, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, and then Hans uh, Colonel Hans Lander, and maybe a few couple others. And it, it's mm-hmm. odd because, of, because it's very odd how you just mentioned the Joker. It's because Joker is almost like a, an inspiration to a lot of uh, people, especially in acting, because the Joker is really one of those type of characters that is perfect to play because it. Mm-hmm. A lot of your own, not only your uh, manic energy, that sort of thing, but it just takes a lot of your mm. own energy in general to put it into your thing.
2: Uh,
0: mm. Mm. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, in terms of just just Joker in general, mm. it's like. Uh, it's very hard because it's like, it, there are certain characters that actors do want to play because mm-hmm. want to emulate that. And it's mm-hmm. because, and we could have a whole discussion about why Gerald Leto's Joker was horrible, but not because mm-hmm. of writing in general, but because he was like really, really trying hard. The thing about mm-hmm. the Joker is that you don't have to really try hard as Joker. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've been watching this, but on DC Universe there's Paula Quinn and like mm-hmm. And uh, Alan Tunick has been voicing the Joker on the show. Mm-hmm. And, he, yeah. and he has been perfect as Joker because mm-hmm. it's like the same characters he would play, that very manic, very psychotic type of villain, but at the same time mm-hmm. bringing his own little nuances into Joker that hasn't mm-hmm. been before. You know, when people, yeah, It's like when people think mm-hmm. oh, it's a Joker animated, they gotta try Emily Mark Hamill, that sort of thing. But when mm-hmm. it's Joker in live action, it's going to be the push up between Oh, you gotta try and emulate Jack Nicholson or Heath Ledger or in this symbol, Miller, Cesar Romero. Mm-hmm. And which is odd because, you know, I was actually just thinking about you know, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker just the other day. Mm-hmm.
1: Because, yeah.
0: Like, I love that movie. Same, yeah. I honestly don't like his trailer as Joker for some reason. And it's because really? I honestly, you know why, and this might get me heat or flack for that. Movie. <laughs> Because, but he doesn't, do, like, he has the energy of the Joker, right? He has that mm. little energy that I was just talking about. But at the same time, mm. he doesn't feel like the Joker. Like, he just feels like someone who just became, he, he just, he feels like someone who becomes the ideology of the Joker instead of just the yeah. Joker. He just doesn't become, like, he just has mm. theology behind him. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like he has that. I am the Joker. It's like uh, he doesn't. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't have like that soulless type of thing. Where it's like everything about, mm-hmm. like everything about Joker is that it's a laugh. You
2: know, he, mm-hmm.
0: he laugh at a car crashing or something like that. He would laugh. Mm-hmm. at, You know, uh, using a pie in the face, and that pie in the face happened to have acid in it. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. He has a very mm-hmm. sick sense of humor. And, the mm-hmm. thing, and again, I do love the film. I do love uh, Joaquin Phoenix's take on the Joker. It's just I just mm-hmm. don't know how his Joker becomes his Joker. It's like it's almost like his Joker becomes almost like
1: uh, like how in Gotham, um, yeah, Cameron Monahan's Joker isn't necessarily Joker Joker but because it's a prequel, so he almost kind of feels like he's more of this inspiration from the Joker, in a way, too, because I, I, I don't remember where I read, but that's something I heard. I don't know if it was, like, the actual intention of that version, or if it was a theory.
0: No, uh, I I've actually watched Gotham through, I'm actually one of the first, people who actually watched Gotham from the first episode to the last episode, and mm-hmm. originally, it was going to be, oh, yeah, this is going to be the Joker, you know, but we won't say he was, it's basically the same problem with Smallville, it was like, Mm-hmm. They couldn't show Clock Tent wearing his Superman tights, so they got around it with him just being as the blur or you know, or that sort of thing. Or mm-hmm. just well not the streak, uh the red, white, the red and blue streak, that sort of thing. But in mm-hmm. this episode, they have him in the tights, that sort of thing, and they have him like mm-hmm. the classic superman thing. But and mm-hmm. um, I think what got them is that Cameron Monaheim's uh, Jerome Valeska I mean, not Jerome Valeska, Jeremiah... Well, one of the Valeska twins. <laughs> I forget which one it is.
1: It's that's okay. On. That That's okay. I haven't really seen Gotham since, like, after the second season. I just really fell behind with it, and I kind of forgot. Actually, I ended up forgetting about it for a while.
0: No, but the thing... And this is the same thing I had I was just mentioning about, especially with Inspirations, is that mm. Aaron's uh, Joker felt more like a almost like almost a smaller version of Heat's Joker mixed in with mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, that sort of thing. And the bad mm-hmm. thing is that Cameron is such a great actor is that they, mm-hmm. it's like they waste him on a role like this. And they do waste him because, you know, spoiler, his, like mm-hmm. Jerome dies like at least twice on the show. And then they, bring, and they, they decided, and this is the great thing about Gotham because Gotham is pretty much like a show proper.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: it's like they decide it's like you know what we made a mistake we'll just have him play the joker but the joke is really his twin brother jeremiah who basically has the one bad day thing where he basically has his one bad day and just becomes sick and twisted mm-hmm. might have been sick and twisted in the foreground and he has mm-hmm. and he has his own like prototype harley quinn thing but we won't call her harley quinn you know it's that sort of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Even
0: yeah. he is like harley quinn is like and by the time it's just the show ends, and Batman, you know, Bruce has become Batman, and whatnot.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's like this very, like very dis uh, deformed shell of his former self. And was like, and you have to, and you, and the and the thing is though, Cameron is such a good actor. You actually kind of believe that this is the type of person who would fight Batman almost nightly about, hey, you know, I'm going to
2: mm-hmm.
0: the uh, bank or something like that. It's like every other night, he's like the Joker's doing something. Damn it. <laughs> and, <laughs> And and I do agree. It's like it's it's odd how essentially when it comes to inspirations, it's it's odd how a lot of these actors like they do, especially for for something like the Joker. It's a very mixed bed because there's all these different interpretations now. And I know probably, Mm -hmm. and I know in ten years time, people will be like, "Oh, I want to become like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, that sort of thing." And Mm -hmm. and if you rewatch the movie, it's about a guy who has like a very very who just spirals out of control, but that doesn't mm-hmm. Joker. Joker. Mm-hmm. Fit, fit and it's
1: Joker. also and it's also out. a class thing. And also, like, really the biggest thing with that movie, too, it's more of, like, a, a class thing, really. Yeah. Like, because he, he's, like, someone in a very, like, lower class thing. He's, like, doing very, like, you know, in lower class society kind of jobs. And he's, like, you know, constantly struggling, constantly getting abused. And it's, like, and it's like you know, because I know people probably just put it, like, you know, like, um, like race on his character for a second, but I'm like, no, just take that out for a second and just look at like um what is the actually going on. Not just not not the race, but just like what happens to people in those lower class kind of things. Like they constantly get treated like trash. Yeah. And it's like and it's like you look at the upper one people in society and they really just don't care. And it's like like actually I think actually one of the biggest things to really kind of make it apparent in a way is like in the scene, in the, like, you know, that talk show interview, when uh, Joaquin Phoenix is being interviewed, he admits to, you know, murdering the three stockbrokers on the subway train. Like, what do you, like, what would be the, you know, normal response? Oh, well, you just call the cops. You like, stop the taping. But no, the TV host is actually like, no, you know what, screw that. I'm just going to keep engaging with this person who literally just admitted to killing three people. And it's like, And it's like, why doesn't anyone bring that point up, though, too, about this movie? When they talk about, like, the Joker's character. And I'm like, that kind of seems like something that should be brought up, too, though. Because not the, yeah, the Joker is bad. But that's only part of it, too, though. Because it's like, because I remember having this conversation with someone where it's like, with a whole line of, you get what you, you know, you get what you effing deserve. Well, it's kind of a, it's kind of a yes and no in a way. Of course, no one deserves to be murdered, obviously, but when you create when you when you create a system that oppresses people and essentially perpetuate it, like I mean just look what's going on in the world now, essentially, a lot of what's going on in the world now is just because of like this the system we have is an oppressive system, and it's like, yeah, like of course something was going to happen how would you not expect something to happen when you create a system that is like purposely oppressive to those in lower classes of society yeah uh so in terms of yeah yeah sorry i kind of just went off on like a soapbox there <laughs> no 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 honestly it,
0: it's your hour so you know <laughs> and and,
1: it,
0: and again this show is like raw and unedited almost so it's like you get the opinions <laughs> The people i'm being interviewed i'm interviewing mm. my opinions too so it's like it's a 50 50 thing so it's like hey mm. i might, f- uh, trail my, uh, might trail off my guess my off. who knows fun show mm. <laughs> uh do you mm. have a defining moment for you already or are you still like, looking for that defining moment in, in terms ter- of let me rephrase that. a defining moment in your career that where it's like okay because for me, my defining moment uh, for me was that um, you know uh, when I was a kid, my father's school used to be always being taped in terms of like you know shows that sort of thing. So I happened to hmm. I happened to be on the set of Ghost one day, and Go Rider hmm. is this very old PBS, uh, PBS show. Every day we do it on Apple TV. I don't know if it's good or not because I don't have Apple TV. Mm-hmm. And I was watching them film a scene where this guy tries to run away with like half a million dollars or something, that sort of thing. And do mm-hmm. this whole f- spectacular stunt where it's like, you know, all this money is flown in the air. And I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty fun. It's like mm-hmm. people do this, like, and people do this for, li- for a living, I was like, and you know, as as I grew older, you know, it's like I grew more and more interested in acting, that sort of thing. And I studied really films in general, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. of the defining moments of my life was really being on a, a movie set and seeing how fun that was. Like, mm-hmm. in terms of you, it's like, do you have like a defining moment where it's like, you knew when you want to start acting? or did you have, or do you have a defining moment where it's like, this might be the right path for me because I'm actually meeting the right people because like, like I work as a ticket, you know, person for, for mm. stuff. So, and I've already met a few celebrities and I'm like, this feels so right for me because I'm actually meeting with celebrities who I know of. And that's what, mm. I think. and, and, you know, no me will be you know, like freaking out, but I'm on the job and I'm just like, you know, hey, this is a good job for me actually because I'm always meeting celebrities and like I miss it like I, like because of my job I, I talked to you like a, a few months ago about how I nearly pressed into Conan O'Brien on my way back to my work because he, mm. like, he was like because I know mm-hmm. was, uh, this was like around like November December so I might have been here for like mm-hmm. a week or so or something like that he oh, did,
1: oh, he, yeah he was doing a comedy tour I think Around that. Oh, okay. I, think, I think it was a comedy tour around that time
0: so, it, it's odd how, essentially, when you're in a career like this, especially as an actor, it's like to always these defining moments, but have you have a defining moment where it's like, hey, this could be something that I want to do, it's like, this could be something I really want to do, because this feels like mm. something I want to do, it's like that sort of thing.
1: Mm. Hmm. Um, it's hard to say, to be honest, because, like, I kind of, like... Um, trying to figure out how long ago this was now maybe a year ago or not kind of a year ago I guess maybe a little less kind of hit this point where I was like I don't know I kind of feel like I need to take a break from acting for a bit first because I wasn't feeling like that same inspiration I had when I was like you know younger and also maybe it's just because like uh, I was kind of really in this rut where I wasn't like finding a lot of uh, projects I was really either interested in or that really grabbed me or like, or I even got, you know, a callback audition for to begin with or, an, or even an audition at all. So it kind of just felt like it was kind of draining at times, to be honest, especially because like, while well, yeah, it's it like doing all those like, you know, student films, all those like plays or whatever, like, yeah, it, it, it's experience, But at the same time, it's like, it is kind of a little draining when you don't, when sometimes the work you're doing, you don't feel a real investment in a lot of the time, because there's some things I'm like, well, okay, yeah, it is what it is. Like, actually, there was this one play I was in, where like, first off, this director is just a creep. First off, because he basically took a Molière play, made it all the women characters were now men, everybody was gay. That's fine, like, but which uh... just the way it was portrayed though, almost felt like it was. He did, like, he was just doing a stereotype then or something. Like, he was just, like, almost, almost mockery, really. Which Moliere play was
0: this?
1: Um, God, I'm trying to remember. Well, basically, the original premise of this Moliere play was that um, there was, like, two characters, I think, this is, and this is, like, this was, like, like, a while ago now, so I'm, like, I've tried to just kind of, like, blank out some, a lot of this one because it was just such awful experience. Basically, it's like two characters who are like um, servants, like I guess, pretend to be like. Um, uh, no, wait, that wasn't right. No, no, it was basically two people pretend to be some pretend to be people they aren't, and a whole lot of chaos ensues. And basically, in this version, our director had the two guys like completely strip naked on stage, and I'm like, um this uh kind of feels unnecessary in every way possible yeah. and and um and also like for some reason he tacked on this um this like uh like this this monologue from this short play where only one character speaks and he gave me that one to do and i'm like this, this, this is stupid like cuz it was it was just a stupid monologue that rambles on for 20 minutes and made like no real coherent sense and i'm like god i hate this so much why 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 am i doing this that's the thing because that's the thing with acting there's a lot of experiences where it's like you kind of just hate it because sometimes the environment of like the you know like the directors or even certain and certain things the actors well the actors in this one were great like they were all really nice people but it's like you're going to get one you're going to be enacting situations where the directors or producers or actors or somebody is going to like really bring the energy down in such a way that makes it an awful experience when it shouldn't be and that's draining its own way too especially if you don't feel like a real investment in the work and you're just doing it for like the experience and it's kind of also kind of like it actually kind of inspired me to like get more into writing because I used to do that a little bit like just a lot of fan fiction stuff but it kind of got me thinking what if I really try to put more I don't know, I make more work into it to make it something more serious
0: it's odd how you mentioned that because uh, a couple of years ago I was essentially down in the, in the dumps in terms of acting but it was burning me out I was going to mm-hmm. a school that really wasn't really preparing me well for acting it's like mm-hmm. oh they will be uh, mm-hmm. They would be uh, teaching me well, but they wouldn't really be, you know, saying this was really, really good, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I ended up just simply dropping out of that acting program and going to filmmaking. You know, and I, mm-hmm. okay, filmmaking would probably be more each year fit for me. The film department mm-hmm. was a little fun, and that was a big, big one though for me. I should have just kept on going with my acting program there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for, like maybe a period of like six months ago, I was really really depressed in terms of acting because I really mm-hmm. didn't feel like I wanted to be an actor, and that one, and I turned to writing. That's what you just said before. Is like, and I wrote mm-hmm. a, like almost like a reflective play about not only that, but also the, the like themes that were having in my life. Which was that mm-hmm. the, the previous you know, like two years before, my grandmother had passed away, so I really needed something to really uh, reflect about that. Mm-hmm. In angst I had in my mind, you know, in my, uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: in my, uh, we call it uh, in my, like, mind and stuff like that. And I was able to get that produced at least twice, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, I, I, it, it's odd is that even though when acting is a creative and also almost like burnout experience, there are other things in the performing arts that actually help you, uh, Shooting mm-hmm. help you uh, cope in terms of that, like burnout. Because even if mm-hmm. you're acting, it's like even if you're in a Broadway play, right? And Broadway is mm-hmm. like, and Broadway is essentially eight performances, six days a week. Yeah, eight performance, six days a week. Because there's one mm-hmm. where they do have that one day off, that sort of thing. It's usually Mondays, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They usually do twice uh, a couple of, and they even might do twice performances on two days. That's, mm-hmm. So it might be a dual performance like a on a, a Saturday night and then a dual performance on maybe a... a, a
1: like a Wednesday. Yeah, but, because as
0: I said, you know, acting does burn you out, but at the same time, acting does give you like a very jury experience, because even if it bu- does burn you out, mm-hmm. Being on that stage, entertaining people, saying those lines, that sort of thing, it helps you greatly because uh, mm-hmm. it, it's like I had a similar experience with a horrible, I wouldn't say horrible director, but he was a uh, less than experienced director. He has he had directed a couple plays, right? And this mm-hmm. was a play. I mean student production, mm-hmm. right? And this mm-hmm. was a, some uh, th- and he was adapting a play that was a of three plays, three separate plays, but he had to figure out ways to connect those plays into each other play for some reason, instead of mm-hmm. three different plays, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when it came to time for our play, I mean, our you know, our like one act thing, our, mm-hmm. play, he had like a much more of a difficult, uh, different, difficult time for directing because he didn't know how to direct mm-hmm. essentially.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Five? Was it five? No, it was like six or seven people. I forgot how many people how many people were in the cast. And one, mm-hmm. one of these you know, actors, uh, <laughs> he really was a egocentric asshole, and he mm-hmm. he was like the type of guy who thought was the guy in production, and he was able to really, really sway around his way of saying, Hey, you know, I, I kinda wanna do this thing and they like, Oh yeah, no problem, no problem.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: sure enough they actually tacked on a ending to the play, which is like what you just mentioned mm-hmm. before, how, how your director essentially tacked on this model that had no bearing uh, to the plot to watch rover but they felt like hey, you know, the crowd really likes him, so you know what? We'll just add a little that just feels nothing at all for some reason at all just feels like hey, this makes no sense to the play but to should just add it on to the play, just add it on to make it more enjoyable for the audience even though, even though the play ends like literally seconds before that that tactile ending just like ends like like everything that has just been resolved, and the character himself, he's only in one scene for like maybe three minutes Mm-hmm. And like hey, and it was like, Why well, I'm I just in the background just like drinking mm-hmm. beer? And like like he's like he wanted to be essentially overshadowing the actors and that sort of thing. And here's mm-hmm. me on stage playing a Martian, because I was playing a Martian. And here's me playing a Martian and I'm just like and it's funny because whenever I'm on stage, I get the best reactions because I'm the mm-hmm. guy people all laughing at because the way I'm coming out because I'm here I am dressed in like a very Rick Flint robe Mm. I'm like makeup as anything I have like a Han Solo blaster that worked as a toy blaster because originally they wanted me to have my own little toy gun and it's like no guys I have my toy gun don't worry (laughs) I gave it in it's like the day of like the first tech week and like this won't do, but I was like, no, this will do, and I and I just went bang, 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 and they just looked at me and goes, all right, fine. It's like they couldn't just do it because it was like it's the day of production. It's like, all right, fine. It was like, but it's it's just and, and when people saw it, it was this Han Solo blaster that got mm-hmm. most of the laughing because goes, they know it's like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Doing? It's like, it's like my guy is Han Solo blaster. I'm like, and and, and it's funny because acting usually does. Mm-hmm allow you to adapt onto the stage in a very casual manner, especially if there's mm-hmm. a, it's like not there in this, in this sense, because you know, I was doing a play a few years ago. I was supposed to have a cup of coffee.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I wasn't on stage. So what I did was as I was talking, I just casually moved around as I would do and I moved towards the back of the set. I was like, and I grabbed the coffee cup from behind the set and grabbed it and then it looked like I was just Grabbing a coffee almost like from the uh, from the void of blackness that was behind the set because
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, acting essentially allows you to adapt to a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and again, you know, this is why I said we could go into on any type of tangent that we want. This is my show, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go into a tangent <laughs> or want to go into your soapbox here, I don't care, it's your time. <laughs> so, uh mm-hmm. I only have two questions left, so, uh, but expand the crap out of that. Uh, That's (laughs) the type of stuff I won't be uh, included on the thing. So, Uh, what can we expect from you in the coming future?
1: Hmm. Well, a couple things, I think. So, uh, when quarantine started, uh, my partner and I actually started making YouTube videos uh, because she made like a YouTube channel for like uh, sewing tutorial stuff. And I would help uh, film it and then edit it. And then, every, and then occasionally kind of star in it, you know, do some funny stuff and whatnot. We'll try to do some funny stuff. <laughs> and it kind of actually also um, got me a little more into like editing stuff as well, because that's another thing I like. Actually, I used to do a fair deal when I was younger, when some friends from my neighborhood wanted to like make YouTube videos. Like I would do, I actually pretty much did a lot of the editing for that. So I kind of had a little bit of understanding and I kind of have a slightly better understanding, and it's something I might that might kind of get more improved over time as well. As well as also like another like because I I've I have a couple different ideas for things I would like to like write and get made as like um, like I don't know short series or something like that. Like one of them essentially being like a um, like a kind of a prequel story about Scarecrow, a la Breaking Bad style in a way.
0: That actually
1: sounds interesting. There's- yeah, yeah, like I, if you want to can elaborate about it in this podcast or I, you know we can talk about it afterwards if you want.
0: Well, you can make it into a very short like a very short, no, actually uh, elaborate about how you came up with the idea of making a breaking bad style scare for a prequel.
1: Well, I it kind of just like popped up one day cuz I was just kind of like uh rewatching some like breaking bad clips and i think it was actually after actually this is also after watching the joker movie where this kind of occurred to me where i'm like hmm this kind of like prequel style for the joker i'm like i wonder if there's any other characters like where you could do something like that and kind of like put some sort of gritty realism so it's not just like you know all the mythical and magical superhero kind of stuff but something that's more like gritty and real and like relatable to the real world in a way so basically it would be like Jonathan Crane would be like a uh, college student and um, I'm kind of forgetting the science term, like probably like a biochemical engineering or, some, or something obviously in the science, arts. And he would be struggling to you know pay off his student debt, obviously something that's very relatable to pretty much anyone who goes to college for the most part. And he ends up uh, work, having to work with his professor, Hugo Strange, who is connected to uh, the Gotham mafia. And he essentially kind of puts like um, Jonathan's incredible expertise, uh, you know, his like fear gas toxins and so forth. And he presents that uh, and his pro, like, and Hugo Strange would present that with Jonathan Crane to like one of, you know, like maybe Falcone, maybe Moroni, maybe, you know, one of, the, one of the big mafia names in, in the um, Batman lore. And then he would start essentially working for them. And as like a um, kind of a, not kind of an interrogator, but more like someone who would just like bring the stuff to try and like help uh, them get information and whatnot. And then they would pay him. And then it would kind of go like that, where it's like, and then he would kind of over time would become eventually the scarecrow as he would delve more and more into the crime world.
0: That actually sounds quite interesting because I've I've had a Hannibal style like Hannibal the TV style style version mm-hmm. of Nightmare on Elm Street prequel where it focuses on Freddy as a not necessarily a, as a pariah uh, of Elm Street but more along the lines of Freddy as sort of like the guy who kind of like is that fa- like that family type of father almost like mm-hmm. the father type of way where it's like he's like that. Mm-hmm in the neighborhood where people kind of know and kind of enjoy, but at the same time you know there's kind of like something freaky about
2: him mm.
0: it kind of, and the whole idea builds up his relationship with Donald Thomas mm. and other, you know and, and it's in that sense and they become like very good buddies that sort of thing but and, and mm-hmm. you know uh it's something that i would love to explore one day on screen because i i feel like mm-hmm. And, and, and it's weird how we just talked about prequels with joke prequels. And they're all ideas of general <laughs> that are really unexplored, you know. Uh, and, mm. and when they do prequels that are kind of like on the, of the kind of ruin it and the kind of overshoot their mark, you know. Sam Raimi, mm. I love him as a director, but He kind of overshot his mark with the Wizard of Oz people that he did, uh, what was it, Mm. several years ago, where he tried to to do how the Wizard came to Oz, that sort of thing. So it's sort of like... Oh, oh
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Was that that movie with James Franco?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw a trailer to that, and I was just like, I was just like, why? Why does this exist? And, you know...
0: And and there are other prequels that actually do work, you know, with the Halloween prequel mm-hmm. Rob Zombie did ten years, like almost like a decade ago, mm-hmm.
1: or like Better Call Saul.
0: Yeah, Better Call Saul like- is like all prequels that do work and actually use that you know to advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, Christopher Nolan, he did a fantastic prequel with Batman Begins or, or mm-hmm. really. Yeah, it's odd how and and, mm-hmm. and in terms of the Joker. You know, it, there is a uh, a great origin story in that movie. It's just that, mm-hmm. and it's 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 not something that feels like a Joker origin story. It feels like someone else's mm-hmm. origin story. Just Joker like Joker mm-hmm. like, like, tacked on.
1: Yeah, it's it's basically like the Killing Joke graphic novel with the taxi driver aspect of it. That, but, it, does, but, it, but yeah. it but it actually. You know, the reason why it doesn't work is that it does lean a little too much into the taxi driver aspect because why the killing joke is one of the best graphic novels was that you see joker both as the person he was before and the psychotic person he is now and it, and like going back and forth Where even he says where he says he you know, chooses to remember things as like multiple choice maybe it went this way maybe it went that way and even near the end where he kind of takes a moment where the joker part of him actually kind of almost seems to stop for a second when he tells Batman it just is too late for me like as crazy as he is he has the intelligence to realize how far gone he is and then he switches right back into Joker by telling this like crazy joke that kind of shows how like like how far he is into Joker and like I and that's so I I think that is where like the Joker movie kind of does can, can miss the mark because mu- it is too much of, like, tree Joker, in a way. Because if, he- if the whole thing was, like, he is supposed to become the Joker, well, he- we don't really sa- see a lot of time with him as the Joker to begin with. Like, it's just more near, like, I don't know, it was, like, a, maybe a half hour, 20 minutes. Like, it's pretty short when he actually is the Joker.
0: Yeah, when he becomes the Joker, it's, like, literally in the last, like, maybe 20 minutes or so. And when- yeah. And when he is, like, the Joker, it's not really... Joker is he's just like this guy who's just, just a clown, yeah. And when you do feel like he is becoming a Joker, is that shot where he does like the whole thing with his you know, with a promo smile and him with a thing, it's like that, yeah, yeah. Like, if this movie had more of that type of moments, I would probably have the idea Joker they were doing. It's just they were, as you just said before, more inclined to a taxi style driver style inspired homage than they were actually doing with the Joker itself. But again, mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation all by itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Although I, I will say although I will say Joker is a better taxi driver than taxi driver was to be honest.
0: we'll agree with the okay. dish
1: background. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That Joker didn't have Marini Scorsese saying wanting to blow someone up, uh, wanting to shoot someone with a forty-four Magnum. Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, but like, it is just a little weird because like, it it is like they don't fully like kind of make it clear how he's crazy per se in the movie itself, or because the ending is a little odd. Like, because my first assumption is, because my assumption watching that is like, okay, he must be a Vietnam War vet, I guess. But aside from just the jacket that he has that, for all we know, he probably just got from an army surplus store. There's nothing to really indicate, to my knowledge, and I watched this a while ago, so I don't know, maybe I missed something. But there's nothing to indicate that theory, that maybe he's just a war vet suffering from PTSD and he needs, you know, like proper treatment but isn't getting it. Yeah, or, or he's just like, or he's just really someone who's so crazy that he just went. That maybe he got rejected from the army, but he went to an army surplus store, got the jacket anyway, and is trying to like, I don't know, live out some sort of military fantasy that he didn't get to have maybe. And 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 just the ending is just a little like, I'm just kind of like, is he dead? Because because there's that shootout scene. Oh, oh, say, 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 but then there's a, but then there's scenes after it where I'm just a little lost. Where I was a little lost when I watched it.
0: Again, that's a, the thing about filmmaking is that, the, especially in those type of films, is that there's a sense of ambiguity, and the ambiguity really does help you in terms of which film you want to watch or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're kind of running out. Not uh, it's kind of because we're kind of like almost getting close to an hour almost talking about your like just acting in general that sort of thing Mm. Uh, and i began and it's been a very informative thing especially how uh in terms of just acting in general uh do you have any advice for anybody who has been like listening slash watching slash whatever gonna be doing in the future with this thing
1: hmm well, it's hard to give advice right now because there's are going on, but I would say just like, like follow your heart, really, like if you're really invested in it, like if you really care about what you're doing, then keep doing it because if you love it, then it's going to be great. But also make sure that you're not letting your own mental health suffer at the same time. So make sure you're kind of keeping yourself balanced so that way you can enjoy it and stay healthy at the same time.
0: Yeah, I I, I do mm-hmm. agree. I think in the in the plight of this climate that we have, like literally this climate that we have, I think mental health and just act, and just mental health in general is something that needs to be essentially be focused on and all that, and essentially mm-hmm. feel a lot more comfortable with because I know people, mm-hmm. and it's odd because when I've you know, I have problems in terms of, and I will not be blind about this, I have problems with anxieties and stuff like that. I have social anxiety. Mm-hmm. But me as an actor is a great step up with me as an actor because I have mm-hmm. all fear being on in front of people, that sort of thing. But that fear, that fear just essentially goes away to on on stage, was I know all my lines. And I'm just mm-hmm. happy with those lines. Mm-hmm. And just burnout in general, you know, we have to also treat people who have, you know, who can't be on stage, like on stage, for almost like eight hours, in a, like, have to be in theater for like eight hours just to do two shows or maybe even one show. And mm. and depending on the crowd, the crowd may love it, the crowd may hate it, the crowd may be indifferent because I've, I've been in shows that
2: have mm-hmm.
0: been very indifferent in terms of what I've been doing on stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and it's not because New York is a very fun city to be in a uh, crowd. It said was, I would love to go to L.A. I would love to be in L.A. for like maybe a month and just be in that L.A. scene. Mm-hmm. And being essentially living, not necessarily living in L.A. but experiencing the L.A. like theater scene, especially because... And theater cl- and, and acting classes, that sort of thing. I would love to go to Chicago and visit Second City if they're still there. I think they are. I'm not sure, mm. but I would love to go to Chicago, be uh, you know, see their kind of like comedy schools, that sort of thing. But mm. and it's not because well, it's not. odd It's matter of fact that I had a film class last year where my film professor that told us that New York is essentially the the, the media hub of the whole. Of the media mm. of America,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and because of what's been happening, yeah. now, it, it, it's it, that hub is kind of like stopped right now, obviously. But mm-hmm. once production start going again, that sort of thing, I'm pretty sure everything will become a lot more, you know, smoother in terms of what's mm-hmm. been going on. Even if, like we mentioned before, they have to make precautions in terms of hey, we have to address coronavirus. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that one of my favorite sitcoms, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is definitely going to be addressing Mm the whole police, thing that's been happening. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, it's an interesting Brave New World, and that Brave New World is going to be very, very interesting to be a part of it. But what you just said before, like something that hasn't really been focused on, which is the whole mental health.
1: Mm-hmm. and actually kind of bring joker back into it for just a quick second yeah, there's actually like that mental health aspect like it is kind of it is actually in the movie but nobody like i don't see a lot of people actually talk about that when or at least before when they discuss the movie like the meant like literally joker is seeing like a um uh, like it is seeing like someone that the um like the state or the government or whatever is like you know rec- like saying hey you know I'm trying to remember what the title was. like, as like a uh, social worker, I guess, or state mandated therapist or something maybe, or something of that nature. Yeah. Where like, yeah, the Joker is seeing that person for his mental health issues. But what happens like within, I think like the first 10, 20 minutes of the movie, basically the funding for that institution gets cut. So Joker loses like his source of mental health. And it's like, no one seems to want to talk about that. Like That was actually a point I tried bringing up with someone and that got completely ignored. And it's like, you kind of probably shouldn't ignore this point though because there's kind of a truth to it. Like we don't actually treat people's mental health you know, seriously, like that's just not a good thing because there are a lot of people who, you know, do need mental health treatment. And it's like, if there isn't something to help that, it's like, it just things get worse essentially for people.
0: Yeah, and I've I've heard stories of people who, well, not people, but actors who essentially walked up stage and middle of a performance because they've been having, a, you know, because it, it mm-hmm. uh, because the stress of acting does get to them. And mm-hmm. as much as I do love acting, there are there is points where I do need to take breaks from that acting, even if it's like a, a few months or even a close to a year, because I need to rest. Mm-hmm. Because and in that time, I used to do write because, you know, it's... it's Writing in general is a great um, sw- uh, uh, output of that thing. And I
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and you know for a fact that um, the stuff that we did, uh, Christmas Time in the City, the times mm-hmm. when I read your stuff, it was hilarious. You know? Oh, thank you. You had a... I'm not sure if you did the sketch where it was... Um, uh, Disney buying the North Pole or something like that, but that yeah was, yeah. But there was a there was a sketch you wrote that essentially that Disney actually bought the North Pole and he, they basically bought Santa and then essentially Santa was now owner it was now owned mm-hmm. by the House of Mouse and now a mm-hmm. Mouse employee played by you has a tells mm-hmm. him, oh you know it's just you know Walt's decision or something like that that would that a mm-hmm. mean to tell you that you know. You're, you're out of you're out of here buddy and all that stuff mm-hmm. so, and but the idea of uh, essentially uh, Santa Claus being kicked out because of Disney uh, 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 <laughs> uh, mass production is hilarious all by itself but, that, but that's a, a, a story for another time yeah. then, anyway that has been an hour of or maybe I have no idea how long this is but <laughs> this has been episode four Perform- <laughs> Performing the arts. Oh, uh, Hayden, before
1: I go, mm-hmm. do you have any social media you, you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I have, like, a couple. So I have uh, two Instagrams. It's um, my main Instagram, Hayden underscore 96. And then I have my cosplay Instagram that doesn't have too much at the moment, but it has a few things on it. It's called, that cosplay Instagram is called Squall the Mandalorian, all one word. And then you can and then you can just find I, yeah, you can just find me on Facebook too.
0: Yeah, he's a very friendly guy on Facebook, trust me. <laughs> he will just like talk to you for hours and I and mm-hmm. I would have and and I would have assignments do and I'm talking, like, I he's like, Do I have to do something like I'm like, Oh crap, I gotta do this. So I'd be like <laughs> this is this has been episode four. <laughs> I've been your host, <laughs> Brian M. Davis. Have a good uh, day, a good day or night or whatever you've been watching us. Take care everyone, (laughs) please be safe.